0: Today's reading is from Luke 15, starting at verse 11, and if you have a red, if you don't have a Bible, there are red Bibles around, Um, so make sure you have a copy in front of you. Um, Yeah, Henry's got a few. The page number for the red Bibles is 1625. that's Luke chapter 15 starting at verse 11 Jesus continued there was a man who had two sons the younger one said to his father father give me my share of the estate so he divided his property between them not long after that the younger son went to a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living after he had spent everything All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found
1: on October 31st 1517 Martin Luther nailed 95 theses to the door of the Cathedral Church in Wittenberg Germany it was a, a daring act of defiance to the Roman Catholic Church and Uh, an act that sparked the Protestant Reformation. At the heart of the Reformation was the rediscovery of the biblical doctrine of justification by faith. The fact that we are saved not by any good works that we do, but by God's grace alone. Through faith alone, in the work of Christ alone. Now the first thesis that Martin Luther nailed to the door said this, When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, Repent. He intended that the entire life of believers should be repentance. Let me read that again. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent, he intended that the entire life of believers should be one of repentance. In other words, repentance is not just a one-off act at the beginning of the Christian life. It's not just something we do once a week when we confess our sins. It is to be our constant posture. That might sound a bit bleak. Is Luther saying, you know, we're never going to be making progress, we're always going to be repenting? No, he's not saying we're not going to make progress, he's saying the way that we make progress is through repentance. Repentance gets me back in touch with who I really am, someone who is wholly and constantly dependent on God's forgiving and transforming grace. And repentance is the way that I receive the father's love. Just think of the story we've had read. The father has always been loving his son. But the son only experiences that love when he repents. He only receives that love, only receives forgiveness through repentance. Repentance is the key to all progress in the Christian life. Dane Ortland, I've been reading his um, recent book, Deeper, Real Change for Real Sinners, a really helpful book. He says, There's a strange though constant message through the Bible. We're told time and again that the way forward will feel like we're going backward. He says, If you're not growing in Christ, one reason may be that you've drifted out of the healthy discipline of self-despair. And by that he means the realization that we contribute nothing to our salvation that we're saved by grace alone. That that self-despair is not an end in its despair, but each experience of, of despair, of realizing our sin, our inadequacy, the fact that we have nothing to contribute, should melt us into a deeper fellowship with Jesus. If we want God's love to come flooding into our life, Repentance is the key. It's the the fuse, if you like, that detonates God's love so it explodes in our experience. It's easy to think of repentance as a negative thing, something to be avoided if we can. You know, I wish I could go through life without ever having to repent. But these stories in Luke 15 show that God delights in repentance. God throws a party in heaven every time someone repents. And that's not just talking about when someone becomes a Christian. Every time you or I repent, come back to God, God rejoices. So this morning we're thinking about repentance under four points. What it is, what it isn't, what will enable us to do it, and what a repenting community would look like. So what repentance is, what repentance is not, what will enable us to repent, what does a repenting community look like? Firstly, what repentance is. And we're going to look at the example of the younger son to help us understand what true repentance is. The the younger son gets three things right and one thing wrong. So three things in our first point, what repentance is, then what repentance is not, the thing he gets wrong. Firstly, he becomes conscious of sin. Verse 17. There he is. He's offended his father, abandoned his family, wasted his wealth. He's in a fallen country feeding pigs. And finally, verse 17 says, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set out and go back to my father. In other words, he becomes conscious of his sin." Up until this point, he's been blind to what he's done wrong or, or maybe he's justified it. Now he wakes up to reality. He comes to his senses. He realizes what a fool he's been and that he needs to go back and ask for mercy. The thing is, this first step in repentance isn't actually something that we can control. It's something that happens to you. You know, you can't decide to wake up from a dream You just wake up it happens to you your alarm goes off someone shakes you your bladder's full whatever in the same way you can't decide to wake up to spiritual reality you can't make yourself conscious of your sin it's something that happens to you maybe you experience some of the consequences of your sin like this younger son does maybe someone gently points it out to you maybe the spirit convicts you you can pray for it You can ask God to open your eyes, to show you your sin. It's a scary prayer to pray, but a good one. But you can't control that. The first step in repentance, coming to your senses, it's something that happens to you as you become conscious of who you really are and your sin. And at that point, you have a choice. You can choose how you're going to respond to that waking up. You can ignore it. You can suppress it. You can try and numb the pain of it. Many people do that. But true repentance means going to step two and acknowledging it. So step two, that the younger son confesses his sin as a personal offense. Verse 18, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. This is a crucial distinctive of true repentance. The son is not just sorry about the consequences of what he's done wrong. He's sorry for the sin itself. He's sorry for the personal offense that he's caused to his father. You see, repentance can just be a way of relieving pain. We don't like the consequences of sin, the guilt we feel, the damage it causes us, the fear of punishment. And so we repent because we want to get rid of those consequences. Now, I don't think it's wrong to be motivated by those things in part. But if that's the only motivation we have in repentance, to to relieve ourselves of sin's consequences, can you see that's inherently self-centered? Our primary concern is for how sin has affected us. But in true repentance, your primary concern is for how your sin has affected God. You're upset because you've grieved your father's heart. True repentance doesn't just mean feeling sorry. I think with kids we sometimes make that mistake. We say we're going to say sorry to God. But true repentance isn't just feeling sorry. You can be really sorry and totally focused on yourself. Self-pity. True repentance is focused on God. Your sorrow is over the pain you've brought to him. Christian, you know that your sin will never bring you into condemnation. So you don't need to be afraid of what God will do to you rather you're afraid of what you've done to him you haven't just broken the rules you've broken your father's heart now when you repent in this way when you acknowledge your sin as a personal offense to God you find you begin to actually hate the sin itself not just the consequences but the sin itself And as a result, you begin to sin less. Thirdly, he takes responsibility for what he's done. He says, Father, I've sinned against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. There's no blame shifting here. He doesn't say, Father, I know what I did was wrong, but if you knew what it was like sharing a bedroom with my older brother, you'd understand. And there are no excuses. He doesn't say, I know I've sinned, but come on, I'm a young man with natural instincts and hormones. And Have you seen the girls in our village? I had to get out. No, there's no blame shifting. There's no excuses. He takes responsibility for what he's done. So true repentance involves becoming conscious of sin, confessing the personal offense that we've caused to God, taking complete responsibility for what we've done now we're pretty close to seeing what true repentance is but there's one thing the younger son does that we need to guard against so secondly what repentance is not he plans to say to his father I'm not worthy to be called your son make me like one of your hired servants now what is he saying he's saying he wants to pay his father back He doesn't ask to be brought back into the family. He knows he doesn't deserve that. Maybe he can't bring himself to even ask for it. Rather, he asks to be made a hired servant, to be in his father's employment so he can earn his way. He wants, I think, to make atonement for what he's done. Maybe he figures if he can pay back his share of the inheritance that he squandered, then he can buy his way back into the family and maybe resurrect his father's love. Now, if this was simply a story of human relationships, then this would make sense, at least in part. When you wrong someone, when you do them an injury, it's right to do all you can to make restitution, to pay them back, to put things right. In human relationships, that's absolutely right. But in this story, the father represents God. And when we're repenting to God, that kind of approach is almost the biggest mistake we can make. Because we can never pay God back. We don't need to. We can never atone for our sin. And we don't need to. It's easy for repentance to become A form of self-atonement. A way of trying to pay for your sin yourself. I mean, when you sin, do you ever find yourself thinking like this? I can't ask for forgiveness yet. I don't feel badly enough about what I've done. I, I need to prove to God that I'm really, really sorry first. I need to show him I'm truly miserable about what I've done and I hate myself. What are we saying when we think that way? We're kind of saying, if I feel badly enough about myself, if I beat myself up enough, then maybe God will be more willing to forgive me. This is partly what Luther was talking about when he wrote that statement about the whole Christian life being one of repentance. He was countering the Roman Catholic teaching about penance. Now, we're getting a bit technical in this bit, so don't worry if uh, you switch off. Uh, See, that the Roman Catholics had taken that biblical word, repent, and translated it, do penance. And by do penance, they meant a number of things, including give money to the church. So at the time, they were selling things called indulgences. And you could buy an indulgence, and then I think, I'm looking at the Lutheran amongst us, I think you'd get a certificate, maybe, to prove that you'd bought this indulgence, and that would, oh, the Lutheran here, um, that would assure you of less punishment in purgatory. The Catholic idea of a place after death before heaven where you... All All your relatives, that's right. You could buy an indulgence, that would mean less punishment for you or your relatives. Now, indulgences aren't a thing anymore, but the idea of penance still is. The idea that I can do something to contribute to my forgiveness. You know, you go to the Catholic priest, you confess your sins, and they give you something to do. Uh, A prayer to pray, or repeat many times. uh, An offering to make, uh, some act of service to perform. Catholic expression of penance, but... Can you see how easily we slip into the same mindsets? When we think, I need to beat myself up over my sin. I need to show God that I'm really committed to changing and never going there again. I'm really going to be better from now on. We need to be careful here because, as we've said, true repentance does involve becoming conscious of sin. That there will be a godly grief. And true repentance does mean turning from sin to trust and follow Jesus. Genuine repentance will result in a changed life. What we need to guard against is thinking that our repentance in any way contributes to our forgiveness. That it has some value in actually atoning for our sin. Now, you might think here, we're arguing over trifles. You you might not even understand the distinction that I'm making. It might feel like fine print. It doesn't really matter. But it does. What's at stake here is the free grace of God and the security of our salvation. Because if my salvation depends in any way on me doing penance or repenting in a kind of sufficient way, well then I can never be sure that I've done enough to pay for my sin. I can never be sure that I'm truly forgiven. When we hear the gospel about what Christ has done to save us, there is a required response. Repentance and faith. But that repentance and faith is not something, it's not a work that we do to earn our salvation. Rather, repentance and faith are the means by which we receive the free gift of salvation accomplished on our behalf. Christ has done everything to atone for our sins. We repent to receive the free gift of what he's done. So, repentance is not a way of paying God back or trying to earn our forgiveness. And everything in this story speaks against that kind of idea. Just look again from verse 20. So he got up and went to his father But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. This brings us to our third point about what will enable us to repent. Just look at the father. What is he doing when the son approaches? He's on the lookout, isn't he? We've got this picture of him kind of standing on the porch, scanning the horizon. Even before the son returns, the father's ready to welcome him back. Just hear that again, because it's speaking to us about God's heart of grace. Even before the son returns, the father's ready to welcome him back. And when he sees his son in the distance, he doesn't stay on the porch, arms folded, saying to himself, Ah, here he comes, my good-for-nothing son. You know, he better have a darn good apology after everything he's done for me. Let him grovel, let him plead, and if he grovels enough, then maybe I'll show him a bit of mercy. No, as soon as he sees his son, his heart, what? It's filled with compassion, and he runs. Now, Middle Eastern patriarchs did not run. It was considered undignified, but this father runs. He throws himself on his son, he embraces him, he kisses him. He calls for a robe to cover his son's shame, a signet ring uh, on his finger, and and a ring to show that he's been fully reinstated into the family. And he throws a massive party. Can you see that the father completely refuses to let his son try and earn his way back into the family? He accepts him back by sheer grace. Now think about the son. As he approaches the house and he's going over his I'm so sorry speech, feeling nervous about how the father might respond, and then his father comes running down the road and embracing him and kissing him. Don't you think that will make the sorry speech a bit easier? Yeah, of course. In Romans 2, Paul says that God's kindness leads us to repentance. You, we might think it's something else. You know, God's holiness, God's majesty is going to lead us to, to repent. But Paul says, no, it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. We'll only come back to God if we have an inkling, some inkling of God's kindness, some hope that he will receive us, that God is more than ready to welcome us back. I said at the start that our repentance is the key to receiving God's love, and it is. If the son had never come back, he would have never known that his father loved him. But it's not that our repentance causes God to love us. Rather, it's God's love that enables us to repent. It's not that, God's, it's not that our repentance causes God to love us. Rather, God's love enables us to repent. It's the knowledge that he's always ready to welcome us back. He's standing not with arms folded, but arms open wide to receive us, always. Dane Ortland again says this, God's affection for his own never wanes, never sours, never cools. Half-hearted is not who he is. That thing about you that makes you wince most only strengthens his delight in embracing you. At your point of deepest shame and regret, that's where Christ Christ loves you the most. Divine love is not calculating and cautious like ours. The God of the Bible is unrestrained. If we are united to Jesus Christ, our sins do not cause his love to take a hit. Though our sins will make us more miserable, they cause his love to surge forward all the more. So don't stay away in fear. Don't allow the fact that you are sinful and undeserving dictate how you assume God feels and how he's going to respond. Allow the truth of the gospel portrayed so beautifully in this story reshape your view of God and renew your confidence in his grace. Jesus tells the story of a son coming to his father in rags and shame and great need, crying to his father for help, and the door is opened and he's welcomed in. But there was another son who was naked and shamed and in great need. And when he cried to his father for help, the door was shut and he was forsaken. You see, we don't need to try and atone for our sin because Jesus has made atonement for us. We we don't need to beat ourselves up over what we've done wrong because Jesus was beaten in our place. The thing that enables us to repent is knowing that God is always ready to receive us because atonement has already been made in full. There's an old Puritan prayer. I am always going into the far country and always returning home as a prodigal, always saying, Father, forgive me, and you are always bringing forth the best robe. All of life is repentance. Repentance gets me back where I belong, back in touch with who I am, a sinner saved by grace. I stand in God's grace. I live by grace. Friends, we're never going to graduate beyond God's grace. All of life is repentance. What will that look like for us as a church community? What what does a repenting community look like? Well, I think it looks like a community in which people are honest about their brokenness and are rejoicing together in God's grace. It was great hearing Cat and James share, wasn't it? And they were both vulnerable about brokenness in their lives. It'll be a community free from pretense, free from projecting an image that we've got everything together, a community where we can be truly known and admit that we're real sinners. You know, not just sinners in a general sense who confess our sins once a week, but real sinners who confess our sins to each other and help one another to repent. At Barneys, we see that kind of relationship happening primarily in our DNA groups, groups of three or four, men or women, helping, encouraging one another in following Jesus. If we know ourselves at all, we'll know that we need that. We need those kind of relationships because we have blind spots to our own selves, don't we? And we need other people to help bring us to our senses, help us repent in a true sense and remind us of God's grace. I wonder, do you believe that? that you need to be part of a community like this in which people are helping you live that life of repentance. I wonder, are you willing to receive that help? Like Kat said, wonderful to hear how the Spirit's grown are willing to hear that feedback, that constructive criticism. Are you willing to give that kind of help to others? That kind of honesty with one another can be scary and it can be abused. But the fact that there are bad doctors out there doesn't mean that we stop going to the doctor, does it? We, we need doctors. It might just mean we're more careful about who we choose. In the same way, the fact that those kind of honest, accountable relationships can be abused doesn't mean we should abandon them. And can you see that if we're a repenting community, if we're all living with this posture of repentance, then we're gonna be dealing with each other with incredible gentleness. And patience and humility because we know we're no better than anyone else we're all sinners saved by grace alone let me give you one last quote from Dane, Dane you, you really should get the book uh, he, he says in his chapter on honesty as we walk in the light with each other and by that he means being honest with each other confessing sin to one another as we walk in the light with each other the walls come crashing down we relax into a new way of being a liberated way of existing with one another fellowship ignites and burns brightly we're actually able to enjoy others instead of just using them to feel good about ourselves isn't that great the walls come crashing down fellowship ignites We can relax and enjoy one another. Do you want to be part of a community like that? Do you want to help build a community like that? A community of truth and love. A community that's shaped and saturated by the amazing grace of our God. Let's pray, shall we? Our Father, we thank you so much for this story. And we pray that, where needed, you'd correct our wrong view of you. Thank you for your heart of compassion, for your kindness, for the reminder, the assurance that you are always ready to receive us, to to welcome us back. Please, with these truths, encourage us and enable us to, to be living a life of repentance quick to repent when we sin and having repentance as a posture and we pray through this you would grow us in our experience of your love and you'd grow us to actually hate sin not just its consequences but but sin itself as the offensive thing that it is and you'd grow us in a in a freedom and a, an ability to overcome the sins in our life We pray that you grow us as a repenting community, one in which we can be honest uh, with one another, where it's safe to do that, where we are being gentle and patient and humble with one another and rejoicing together in your amazing grace. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.